Good morning, church. Again, I'm back, um, and I'll be up here longer this time. Um, if you have a Bible, you could open it to the book of Revelation. If you're new, if this is your first week here joining us, we um, are kind of have a, a milestone, I guess, to celebrate today, which is um, we are officially halfway through a study in the book of Revelation. Uh, so there you go. If you're like, we're halfway through, that's been, it's been a while, then yep, you know, it's going to be a while. Um, and if you're like, wow, that really blew right by, then okay, great. I'm glad you feel that way. Um, it's, um, it's very different going through Revelation from almost any other part of Scripture. Um, it's just very different from what we're used to looking at, the kinds of things we're used to reading. And it's, uh, as it's Jewish apocryphal literature is the, is the, the genre of, of biblical literature that makes up Revelation. Um, it, it takes looking at it a little differently from a lot of other things we look at in the Bible. Um, there's a lot of symbolism in it. God is using symbols and um, in this vision to John to communicate things about himself, about his kingdom, about all of really the nature of reality even. And he's doing that um, to show us things that, that we better understand through symbol, I think, than by um, physically showing him things the way they always really are. This morning, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 10, and um, it's a shorter uh, based on last week, last week we did two chapters of Revelation. It was a doozy, um, and I and I think we we made it through. And there was some really valuable stuff in there as we looked at the trumpets. Um, this morning we're going to look at an angel and a scroll, and it's going to seem short compared to what we talked about last week. Um, and we're going to kind of read through it as we go through. We're not going to read the whole thing ahead of time because I think it's a little bit easier to to look at it that way. So um, John is on the island of Patmos, and um, he has been uh, sort of banished there. It's kind of like being in jail, but a pretty nice version of being in jail, you know, depending on how you feel about deserted islands. And um, he's, uh, he's been given this vision, and in this, he's really been transported to like the throne room of heaven for a lot of it. And um, we're going to be jumping ahead a little bit um, to something different. And what I mean by that is uh, John was uh, describing there's these things that happen in a series of seven throughout Revelation. There are seven seals that he, uh, he shares, that he witnesses. And those seven seals describe like this whole period of time um, in between Jesus being initially resurrected, like what we celebrate that happened on Easter, and then Jesus coming back uh, beyond now in the future and really bringing all things, uh, kind of restoring all things and, and really kind of what we know as like the end of the world. Um, so there's like these seven seals, and they, they take up the amount of time in between those two things that happen. We're in that period of time now, in case you're wondering. Um, then there's seven trumpets that we looked at last week. They, they give us a different perspective on that same period of time. But it's kind of like if you were a person who was looking at it from a different angle. And um, specifically, it was how all of that time would appear to someone who doesn't know God, who isn't worshiping Jesus, and doesn't have an understanding for all these things that are happening. Now we get a little bit of a break, because before the seventh trumpet, before the seventh seal, there's always a break. There's something that happens in between, and, um, and that's what we're looking at this morning um, as we get to like that final trumpet. 
So I want to read the first couple of verses of Revelation chapter 10, and, um, and then we'll kind of look at what they mean. Just the first three verses, and they'll kind of get us going here. Revelation 10, 1 through 3, John says this, Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head, and his face was like the sun, and his legs like pillars of fire. He had a little scroll open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, and he called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring. When he called out, the seven thunders sounded. Okay, so we'll pause for one second here. So what's happened is we have now gone from the heavenly throne room, being in heaven, that's where John was for part of the vision we were looking at last week and things before that. Now we're back on earth. And, and he's like transported back on earth, um, and now what's happening is this angel is coming down to earth, and we get a, a description of this angel, and it's absolutely crazy, like everything else in Revelation, right? Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven. Now, how does he describe this mighty angel? He says, first of all, he's wrapped in a cloud, the second thing he says is he has a rainbow over his head. And the third thing is that his face was like the sun. Now, this word like is going to be used a lot in Revelation. It already has been. Because, again, he's describing things the best way that he can. And the best way he knows how to do that is say it's, it's like this, it's like this. But we don't think that his face was actually a sun. Or there may not have even actually been a rainbow over around his head. That may have just been the way that it appeared to John. And what I mean by that is this. So there's, I do want to do something that we haven't done a, a, every week that we've gone through this. And I want to kind of more specifically look at some of these things and talk about what they may represent because it gives us, you know, that sense that like this does actually represent, these do actually represent specific things. It's just hard as we go through a study like this to hit every single one of those things that something represents. So this angel has landed on earth, like literally landed on earth with his two feet. And the description of him is, I'm going to start with his face because it kind of affects the other thing. His face is like the sun. It's shining like the sun. Now, scripture tells us throughout that God's glory is like this shining thing. And, that, and there are descriptions, especially in the Old Testament, of people experiencing God's glory, even in a veiled form. And what it does to them is it causes them to shine. It's like light, God's glory. And so I think the description of this face is either commentators would say it's one of two things. One, they're drawing allusions from this angel to Christ, who is a light to the world. But I, think, I don't think that this angel is really supposed to represent Jesus. Um, I think really this angel is just an angel. And the reason his face is bright is because he's coming down from heaven. He has been in the presence of God right before this. And because he was in the presence of God, he still got some of that like glory shining off of him. Because God's glory is shining from his face... Because what angel in the presence of God would not spend all of their time simply looking at the glory of God? That's what you would do. There would be nothing more beautiful or more important worth looking at than the glory of God himself. Your face would shine like this angel's does. So he comes down, his face is shining, and then it says there's a rainbow around 
over his head. Now, that rainbow could mean one of two things. One, it could be um, sort of reminding us, as this has already happened in Revelation, of uh, the rainbow in the story of Noah and the ark, right? Uh, they come back, they get off the ark, and God uses a rainbow to seal this promise with them and say, I will, I will never again flood the earth. The rainbow represents God making his promise fulfilled. And so when we see rainbows in Revelation, one thought is that that's basically God's way of just reminding us again and again, this thing that's happening in front of you is me fulfilling a promise to you, okay? It's me uh, actually doing what I said I was going to do. But the other reason that there could be a rainbow over this thing's head is because if light is shining off of something like a face, then what you get is light refracted. And you basically just get like these these rainbows and, and shimmers and lens flares, however you want to look at it, but there's all kinds of stuff coming off of a face that would be refracting light like that. What we know that is clear is this. This angel has got light emanating from them, and it's to such a degree that it's hard for John to even adequately describe they go on and says that um, this angel um, that has come down wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head and his face is like a sun, it says his legs are like pillars of fire. Like pillars of fire. So pillars of fire are the way that God made himself known to his people in the story of the Exodus. If you remember that story, they were wandering through the wilderness and God's made himself present amongst them uh, by manifesting himself as a pillar of fire. Is God always a pillar of fire? No. How did he manifest himself to his people in a way that would be most helpful for them? Number one, they could follow the pillar of fire and he could guide them through the wilderness. Number two, it would protect them and could consume their enemies. Okay. So this angel has two legs that are like that. Showing us and reminding us again that God protects his people. He guides them where to go when they're lost in the wilderness, and he protects them from their enemies. I can't even imagine what it would look like, but we get a sense of more than anything the size of this angel when we look at the next verse. It says he had a little scroll open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. How big do you have to be to set your right foot on the sea and your left foot on the land? I know you're thinking, well, like, I could do that, right? I mean, I could go to the, go to the ocean. I could, I could put one foot in this water. I could, I'd have to move a lot, right, because it would go back and forth. That, no, what we're actually hearing about is literally the most massive thing that you would have ever seen in your life bigger than any skyscraper. I was trying to wrap my mind around what this would look like, and this is something that if you were to try to depict it in a movie, the only way to really do it, I think, would be from like an airplane. It would be like you're flying over land, and you see someone who is so big, you'd have to be like 30,000 feet up in order to see them. That's how big. Really get an idea of how big they are. Otherwise, they just like kind of disappear, right? That's probably why he was wrapped in clouds. Because he was so big, he just shot up through the clouds. This obviously wasn't happening in the Portland area because what it would say is just, I saw two legs that were pillars of fire. That's all it would say. And then they just disappeared into the clouds. Who knows what was going on up there? But I don't know, right? But that wasn't here. So this angel is absolutely 
massive, absolutely massive, and is coming down like a giant out of a movie and placing one foot on the land, one foot on the sea, showing I have power over these things. This angel is a messenger from God sent from heaven to remind John, to remind us and to show us God is absolutely in charge. He is absolutely powerful. He fulfills his promises. He is filled with glory. He makes his people's path known. Even in the most confusing and difficult times, he protects them from their enemies. And this angel that comes down, after setting one foot on the sea, one foot on the land, he calls out with a loud voice like a lion roaring. And when he called out, it said there were seven thunders that sounded. Seven thunders that sounded. Like, what on earth is that? Well, we know that what that was was the voice of God. Because when God speaks, it comes like a thunder. It's a thunderous sound. The Lord comes in the thunder, Scripture tells us. And um, we also know that because of what happens next. When the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write. So he's like... God has just spoken in this thundering voice. I'm going to do my job. I'm going to write down everything he says because people are going to want to know what God is saying next. But I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. So uh, we know that that's God speaking. That's a voice coming from heaven like, like the thunder, so loud, so deafening, and that John wants to give this information to the people of God. But instead, God intervenes and he says, don't do that. I don't want them to know what was just said. Now, some people might have a hard time with this. I actually find this incredibly helpful when interpreting a book like Revelation because when you attack Revelation, when you you go to Revelation and try to understand and interpret it, then one of the first things that you become aware of is you can't fully do so. You're like, I can't translate this fully into something that I'm going to be able to comprehend. It just doesn't fully make sense to me. Does that mean that it's not real? Does that mean that it's like some made-up thing? Well, I think if someone was going to make something up to try to fool a bunch of people, they would make it more coherent than something that you can't fully grasp and understand as you read it. Instead, what we know is true is that our God is so big that there is no way for us to fully comprehend all of who he is, all of his mind, and all of what he says. God also is making it clear that there are things that I will absolutely keep from you. I will simply decide you're not ready to know that. You're not ready to hear that. That's not information that I want my people to have yet. That's hard for us. We absolutely love information. And we believe that we are deserving to have all the facts all the time. But what God makes very clear here is I'm going to give you the truth that you need now. I mean, I think it's safe to say he's giving John more than enough to go with, okay? But I'm going to hold some back. And we don't know why he chooses to hold that information back, but he does. And that's what happens. God's voice comes like a thunder, 
And I think the fact that he says to John, don't share the things that are said in this thunder also, again, is one of the reasons why, and we've talked about this again and again in Revelation, that there is a tendency that we have to, to overanalyze prophetic and apocalyptic scripture. We desperately want to decode every single part of it. We read locusts, we think it's got to be, uh, it's got to be helicopters, right? Uh, we read one thing and we think there's got to be a way to interpret it to where it's, there's a literal thing I could point to in my life today, in the world today, in the news today. Otherwise, it can't possibly be true. And that's one of the things that really messes people up in trying to understand something like Revelation. Um, and so this is encouragement to us because God doesn't give it to us in order to put it under a microscope and decode every single part of it. If so, he would have not held things back from us or from John when he gave it to him. But there is a certain amount that God is like, I want you to get this. And then there is a certain degree of mystery. There's mystery that comes because we can't fully comprehend the mind of God. But there's also mystery that comes because God simply says, there will still be some mystery. You will not know everything. So he tells John not to repeat this. And then we read about a little bit more about this angel um, and specifically kind of this scroll that he has and, and some mysteries that have to be revealed. I, I did read before, I'll go back real quick, that he had in verse 2 a little scroll open in his hand. He had a little scroll open in his hand. There was a scroll that we've talked about previously that had seven seals, and that scroll was very different from this one. That one was sealed up. And only the Lamb of God could open the seals so that that scroll could be unrolled. And what we saw was that those seals opening are the judgments of God coming to earth. This seal, this scroll is very different. The little one that this angel has in his hand. Here's what we read. And the angel whom I saw, and this is in verse 5 now, standing on the sea and on the land, huge, massive, giant angel, raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it, that there would be no more delay. But that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled, just as he announced to his servants the prophets. So, the purpose of this angel coming down from heaven, this interlude that comes in between the trumpets, the sixth and seventh, the purpose of this angel coming down is to show that he has dominion over earth and sea and the heavens above. There's a reason he, he swears by the heavens and raises his hand by the heavens. And it says he swore by him who lives forever and ever, by God himself, who created heaven and what is in it, God himself, the earth and what is in it, the sea and what is in it, that there would be, what? What does he come to say? What does he come to make the point of? What is his point? There would be no more delay. See, there's a lot of talk up till this point about the believers who have been suffering. You see, these seals and these trumpets are describing God's judgment active in the world even now as we're living. And it is not fun to live in a world that is under judgment. 
It is not fun to live in a world under judgment, even if you understand what's going on, i.e. if you're a believer. And it is really not fun to live in a world under judgment if you don't understand what's going on. You're a non-believer. You can't figure out, what is this? What's happening? The world just seems to always be falling apart. We, we get all excited and think we're going to fix everything. Turns out we can't. It all of a sudden seems like maybe it's even worse than it was before. What's happening in this world of ours? It's falling apart, it seems. It's because of the wrath of God. He is a just God. Is being unleashed upon the world because of the sins of man. As this is happening, it's painful to be a believer I believe you, God. I believe in you. I trust in you. I follow you. I'm your child. I don't want this world to be the way it is, and I don't want to be the way that I am as I'm fallen and living in sin, struggling with it so much. God, how much longer until the pain will end? How much longer until the persecution of believers will be finished? How much longer, God? This angel comes to, to really represent what will happen in between the period we're living in now and really God's final judgment. What he's saying is there will be a point when God will say no more. It is now done. Now the pain and suffering will end and now I will come and I will fully finish this thing that I have started. That is the point of this angel coming down, to show that the, the mystery of God would be fulfilled, just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. Verse 7 says this, In the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled. What is the mystery of God? Scripture throughout refers to this concept of the mystery of God. And if we were to look just in the New Testament, what we read about is a couple of different allusions to what that looks like. Ephesians chapter 1 says this, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. So here in Ephesians, what we read about is that the mystery of God's will is his plan. God has had a plan all along to unite all things on heaven and earth through Jesus, through Christ. God is going to redeem his people. How? How is he going to redeem his people? Through his blood through the blood of Christ. That plan that God has had is the mystery that is being talked about. And that mystery is like the mystery of God's will. Like, what is God's plan here? What is he doing here? It's like a mystery that God has revealed to us, his plan. That's incredible. The fact that we know what the heck is going on around here. Why do we know it? The only reason we know it is because God has revealed it to us. If you read about the mystery of God in Romans, now to him who is able to do, and this is the very end of Romans, who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations 
according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. So in Romans, we read that this mystery was kept secret for long ages, but has now been made known to all nations, not just the Jewish people, but the Gentiles as well. And that mystery is what? Well, here in Romans, that mystery is Paul's gospel. It's the good news of the gospel. So what we read about here in this part of Revelation is that this, this trumpet sound will, will also like usher in the fulfillment of this mystery of God, the plan of God that we fortunately get to know about, this mystery which is the gospel itself that saves us. This is what is meant by the mystery of God. And this angel is saying uh, that mystery is going to be fulfilled on the earth. If we keep reading, we get to what I think is really the, the, the part of this that probably will feel the most relevant to us today. And it has to do with this scroll and, you know, warning. It, it gets a little weird because, of course, it does, right? It's Revelation. Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me again saying, go, take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. Okay, so right here, uh, he has to say, give me this scroll, and the scroll is given to him. Go take the scroll from the angel, but you have to ask for it. You have to ask for this scroll that I have. So it's not all sealed up. It's not off limits. It's not something that you don't get to see, but you need to come and ask me for it. And if you come and ask for it, the angel will give it to you. And so he goes, we read in verse 9, so I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, take and eat it. Take and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth, it will be sweet as honey. So he gives him the scroll, and then immediately is like, eat it. Like, can I open it? Can I read it? It's not even sealed up. Nope, eat it. And it's going to taste good, and then it's not going to be very great in your stomach. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was as sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And I was told, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. So if you look up the, the, the tra translation of this word prophesy or prophecy, what it literally means is simply when a person is speaking under the influence of some kind of divine revelation. So what he's talking about here is that God is going to make himself known to you through this scroll. His truth of him will be made known to you through this scroll. And I, you have to ask for it. You have to ask for the truth of God. You take it in. You eat it. Reading is too, I think eyes are too passive in this situation. Reading is too passive. You have to eat it, consume it. And as you do, it'll be sweet going down. You'll like it, but then you won't like it. It'll be sweet, but it'll be bitter. It'll go down easy, but it'll just kind of sit like a rock in your stomach, and it won't make you feel very good for a while. 
So this scroll is a representation, a symbol of the truth of God, this mystery that is going to be revealed. And this truth of God is everything for us. This is the most vital information that anyone can ever have. It's treated that way here in Revelation. This is not a casual, just, oh yeah, by the way. It's a huge deal that a person can have access to to the plan of God, the mysteries of God, and the truth of God. We live in a world that is absolutely filled with information. But it hasn't always been that way. In fact, throughout history, the further you go back, the less information there was. Thousands and thousands of years ago, people could only communicate truth and information by telling each other stories and telling each other things. And if I told you something and you didn't pass it on to someone else before you died, guess what? It was gone. So we pass things on to one another, generation after generation. This was how people did it for many years, until a point in which people started writing things down. And then there began to be more information, and it began to be possible for me to record what I know, the information I have, the truth I know, and just put it down somewhere. And and even if no one, you know, if I die and if everyone I know dies, somebody else can find that thing and they can still have that information. And it made it possible for information to last beyond just one relationship to another. And it could even go beyond people group. Well, then eventually we got to a point where people, where different groups of people, started having more and more contact with each other. And so the ideas and the information and the truth that one group of people had could be shared with another group of people. And we at that time then lived in a world where there was more information and more truth than there had ever been before. Then we developed technology, gave us things like books and a way to print them quickly and cheaply. We had developed things like radio. We developed things like films and movies. And these things made it possible for truth and for information to go out further than ever before and be accessible by anybody with a pair of ears or a set of eyeballs. What we saw then was libraries full of information and full of truth. Video libraries full of information and full of truth, worldviews, and people's understanding of the way the world works. Then came the internet. And all of a sudden, all of the information was here, in this thing. I mean, not all of a sudden, but it happened over a while. For a while, the first websites were not that great, and there wasn't a ton of info there. Not super reliable, but... Now we live in a time when all information is at our fingertips. We have access to every version and understanding of truth that there is all the time. We live in a world where we are overwhelmed and overloaded by information. Psychologists have identified that a massive problem in society today is simply information overload. We have too much of it. And young people's brains are exploding because they're, they're aware of too much, too early. Not even just bad stuff, but just when you, when you have too much information before you can process what it all really means, kind of messes you up. Surprise, surprise, that's happening to us. 
If you want to look up the definition of information overload, that actual term that psychologists use to understand what's going on in people's brains, information overload occurs when the flow and amount of information is too much for our brains to process. The bombardment, this bombardment can lead to confusion, check, indecisiveness, check, stress, and we're not very stressed, yes, check, stress, and eventually mental fatigue just wears us down. Deciding what is worth our attention becomes highly difficult in this flood. And if the information is negative, which, you know, there's a lot of that, then it leads to anxiety. Just an epidemic of anxiety because we're all of a sudden bombarded with all the truth and information that could possibly be out there and our brains don't know what to do with it. And then you add to that the fact that we discovered something a few years ago. I don't know if you heard about this, but what we discovered was that the most powerful people in the world aren't even the people with the information. It's the people in charge of these things called algorithms. Because what the algorithm does is it decides what Google's going to show me when I ask the question. Which means that, like, I'm only ever going to be able to see some of the information. And if someone only shows me information that's going to make me think a certain thing more, or is going to change what I think in a certain way, then all of a sudden, my understanding of truth is not an objective understanding of truth any longer. And we've begun to recognize just how much we can't really trust much of the information that's out there, or even just how we're taking it in. We are like adrift in a sea of information. We have more access to information than ever before. No one's going to debate that. But we are no closer to the truth. We're adrift in a sea of information, and we're drowning. And we still don't have a better understanding of truth than we did before. And it's something that we desperately need. Where are we going to get truth? Real truth can only come from a real authority. And this is the good news that Revelation shares with us. There's a lot painting a picture of authority here. A massive being coming down from heaven itself, placing one foot on land, one foot in the sea, one hand in the sky, showing dominion and authority over all creation. God is going to great lengths through all kinds of, of symbols and means and using all of our senses to impress upon us that he is king and that he has authority because he made it all. And what he is saying to us is, take this scroll and eat it. Why? He's saying, I want you to have my truth because you desperately need truth. You need to have some idea of what the heck is going on around here. And this is the good news of revelation. Literally, 
of God's revelation. Revelation means the pulling back of something. It reveals to us reality in a world where we're desperately in need of it. And these revelations change everything about the way we see the world, about the way we understand ourselves. They change everything. When I was in college, my friend and I started watching this show that we became obsessed with called Lost. I'm not sure that I could say go and invest yourself in Lost at this point, but we loved it. It was about a, it was about a plane crash and some people that ended up on a deserted island. And as they were on this deserted island, they were just kind of trying to make life work, right? It was kind of interesting, a show about people on an island. That's kind of interesting. But what would happen over time was there would be these revelations that would come, and they would change everything, and they were so good at them, right? There's one guy, there's one thing, and it would always be like the beginning of an episode. So you'd start watching, and you're like, oh, this is interesting. What is this? And you would realize in this one revelation that a guy that had been walking around on the island for the whole part of the first season was actually in a wheelchair before the plane crash and couldn't walk. What? That's a crazy revelation. He can walk now. Or you would realize that a person who's doing their morning exercise routine and living a totally normal life is actually living down in this hatch that's been buried in the bottom of this island that we just found out about at the end of that season. That is a huge revelation. Revelation after revelation. What happened to the people on the tail end of the plane? Wait until season, I don't know, four or something, right? Revelation, right? And there was this, like, it was the most addicting thing about the show. Because you thought you were watching a show about something that was just people on an island, and it's this controlled environment. What can really change, right? I mean, they can only date each other so many times, probably. And then that's the end of, that's how most shows go. But these revelations come about, and they're the kind of revelations that change the way you understand how all of it actually worked from the beginning. So you go back and you go, wait a second, that wasn't that, it was this. This person wasn't really that way, they were this way. And I loved it. Didn't end so well, but it was great while it lasted. This is the nature of the revelation of God. He says, I pull back the curtain and I show you what's really going on. It's going to blow your mind because it won't be what you think is going on. And he does that for his people through revelation. He says to his people again and again, here is my truth. Here's what's happening. But here is what we realize about this scroll. That when we take in the truth of God, which we are to take in by choice, it can't be forced upon us. If you've ever tried to force God's word upon a person, you will know it does not work. Right? You can't like like hit them with it, and it gets in there or something, right? Someone maybe tried to do that with you at some point. I don't recommend that. It doesn't work. We have, to we have to choose. We have to choose to actually listen to God's word, to take it in, which is why he had to ask for the scroll from the angel. Ask for the scroll and take it in. And, and take it in, into you. Don't just read it and walk away. Internalize it consume God's truth. But here is the nature of God's truth, and you know this if you've ever tried to consume the truth of God. It brings joy, but it also brings pain. There is joy that comes 
from finally understanding what is going on around here. But there is also pain that comes because we are a sinful people who live in a fallen world. And there are things that God's truth shows us and tells us that are not easy for us to hear. And they kind of make us want to spit it out. Makes our, makes our tummy hurt a little bit. This is the nature of God's truth. And the temptation might be to reject it. Say, I only want the parts that bring me joy, the parts that bring me pleasure. But I can tell you this. What we read about here in Revelation 10, this massive angel that comes with legs like pillars of fire, who has dominion over God's creation, this angel that comes from the very presence of God and brings the truth that is on this scroll, what this is meant to show God's people, the church, is you have been given truth in a world that claims to have so much of it. You have been given the only information that truly, actually matters. The mystery of God that is revealed in the gospel is something that has changed the world. It is not just what one culture group of, cultural group of people believed at one time. It is something that has crossed cultural boundaries again and again. It has crossed generations again and again. It has gone before and into new centuries again and again because there is something in it that resonates with God's creation because it is his mystery and it is his truth. And as that continues to go forth, our job is to recognize the, the gift of what he has given us and to make the decision to take it in. There are so many voices out there saying, let me tell you the way it is in the world today. There are so many people out there saying, just listen to my version of truth, and I will tell you not only what's happening in the world, but even more important than that nowadays, I will tell you who you are. And what God, in his revelation, tells his people we, we get so fixated sometimes on the, on the surroundings, the, the settings, right? The atmosphere, the environment of revelation, all the crazy stuff that's happening all around, that we often miss the fact that what he seems to be telling his people the most clearly is who they are and how they are to see themselves in the midst of all this crazy stuff that's going on. I think that the truth is that in a world that is so inundated with information and we don't really know what to trust, we've turned inward and we've said, I'm not so interested in understanding what's going on out there anymore. I want to understand what's going on in here. And we have become kind of obsessed with understanding ourselves, knowing everything that we can about ourselves and figuring out how to even rebuild who we are, our own identities from the ground up until we are ending, ending up with something that we're very pleased with and happy with and we think will change the world one day. What God's truth tells us is that you are my child. I created you. I created you, first and foremost to find your joy and your fulfillment in me. And the more that you do that, the more alien you will feel to this world. 
You will ask the question, how long, O Lord, until the persecution ends? How long, O Lord, until the pain goes away? How long, O Lord, until you come and rescue us? And he says in his word, just a little longer, just a little longer. Our job is to, is to not lose sight of the significance of this truth and to know that it is the single most important thing that we can share with everyone that we know. And in doing so, giving them the mysteries of God, the hope of the gospel, which is the only thing that can truly bring them life. Let's pray.